today's conversation is so much fun and it is exactly why I love freaking having conversations with women who have backgrounds in the corporate retail world and they apply that skill set to building and scaling their own small business. So I'm so honored to sit down today with Jillian Oliver. She is the owner and the artist behind Girt Co., which is a beautiful paper goods and home decor company inspired by her home state of Maine. She is self-taught. She learned all of her graphic design skill sets from YouTube and Google, which I just love. And prior to that, she spent nearly a decade curating home furnishing brands and creating product for mass markets while she worked at a large e-commerce furniture company and later an area rug manufacturer. So we had a really cool conversation about that experience and the things that she learned from an e-commerce perspective, from a trade show perspective, consumer markets, both domestically and internationally, and just how people shop and how she's been able to apply that skill set to her own business that she is now working on full time and extremely successful. So I'm really excited for this chat. I hope you find a lot of value out of it. It was a lot of fun talking with her and she brings so many insights that I think you're going to really enjoy listening to. So hope you enjoy the chat. Hey friend, quick question for you. Are you feeling stuck with how to get your brand to stand out on FAIR? I'm asking you because as a buyer myself, I can tell you that there are just so many brands out there vying for the attention of these buyers, but I know that your brand has something so special and it needs to be seen. I put together a private podcast for you that goes deeper into what buyers are really looking for on the FAIR platform and how you can stand out from the crowd to grow your wholesale business and really land those dream buyers. So If this resonates with you, head to the link in the show notes for instant access. Welcome back to the Buyer Side Chat. I'm really excited. I have Jill Oliver of Curtin Co. here with me today. So welcome, Jill. Thank you. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. We've met in person last spring, I guess I'll call it, early summer. Um, And then we've like just stayed connected on Instagram and... We had a, a small strategy call together in the fall. And in that call, I was like, you'd be so much fun to talk to on the podcast because you have a corporate retail background and you're crushing it with your business and you want to come on. And I'm so happy that you came on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'd love for you to just give a little background on you know, your, your, your background and your brand. Just kind of tell people about you. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so my background is in the corporate world. Um, I worked for an online um, home furnishings brand for about six years. Um, So it was pure e-commerce and I was doing category management and kind of curating product and buying for them. Um, And I worked um, abroad for them as well. So I also spent some time in London and Berlin in their international offices, and then decided that the pace was just a little too much for me. I wanted to kind of settle down a bit. Um, so I moved back to the U.S., moved back to Maine, and had every intention of leaving as soon as possible. Um, I, I was like, I'm going to New York, like, 
why, you know, I've been in cities, why wouldn't I? And then, you know, I'm still in Maine now, so surprise. <laughs> but after that, I, I moved kind of to the brand side and I worked for an area rug um, manufacturer. So um, it was interesting to kind of then get that point of view to, you know, selling to not only e-commerce stores, but to like big box big box stores um, um, across the US. So, and during that time, I just found myself not being able to be as creative as I wanted to be. When you're selling to big box stores, the looks are typically uh, more neutral, right? They're trying to appeal to a mass audience. They're big box. So um, I was creating rugs that were like, gray and white, brown, gray and white. How many different ways can you do that? So I just decided on the side to buy some um, paint and start painting. I didn't know what I was doing. I just needed something. And then from there, I decided to start an Etsy store and um, started the company that I own now called Gert & Co. And at first I I don't even, I was selling art prints sort of, and then it transitioned into like wedding stationery. Um, because I was getting married. So I think it was kind of easy. I was in that, you know, that frame of mind, um, but realized I was right back into doing what I hated. And that was producing product for other people and their vision and not the whole reason I'd left is, you know, to do things that I loved. So I, I decided last year, I think in 2020, 2022, maybe to just, just go all in on Curtain Co. And so I started, you know, really just focusing on my brand and it's turned into, you know, paper goods and some home decor. I do tea towels and art prints. And luckily other people also like <laughs> my product enough that it's, continued to go. So yeah, so this is kind of the first full year that I didn't do any wedding, any wedding stuff as something that supplementary, um, you know, income or focus. I was fully like all in on curtain cup. So awesome. yeah, so that's, that's where I am now. And it's been, it's been a good year. So I'm curious, I have a million questions for you that like popped into my brain when you were talking. So yes. I'll get there. But the one thing yeah. you just said where you were like, I left, this is the first year where I have not done anything in the wedding business. I kind of left that piece of the business behind. I think yeah. first of all, it's really brave to walk away from something in your business that does drive volume. And I'm sure that yeah. there's a lot of traction there. I'm curious how, I don't know what percent of your business that was before, but was it scary walking away from that? And what have you found like that has opened you up by not having that piece of it? Like, what have you found that has been uh, working for you by letting go of something that was in your business yeah. as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like 80% of my business. So. Right. <laughs> but okay. that's also, that was also the problem, right? It's like, right. it was so time consuming um, to do. I was doing some, you know, kind of ready-made invitations, but mostly custom. And it just takes, it's a lot of back and forth and you're trying to come up with a lot of ideas and it's all based on what that client is looking for. So, but I, I, like I said, it was like, so I'm doing what those clients want. It's just like, you're constantly doing something for someone else rather than creating for fun. And if I'm going to leave like a corporate job that's stable and provides insurance, <laughs> I want to, I want it to be for something that I want to do. Like it wasn't just get into something else that like, you know, I wasn't ha completely happy with. So yeah, so it was a huge part of revenue and it was definitely scary to just say like, I'm not doing that anymore. But by doing that, like all my time is directed into my brand. 
Um, and so I was able to, you know, I had to come up with a lot of new designs. Like I didn't have enough product to really do well in, um, wholesale specifically. And that's where I really wanted to focus my business. So I just kind of, I kicked, yeah, my, I looked at my numbers today, like, you know, year over year and January versus January of 2023, 2022. And I was like, I made like no money this year in the first like three months of the year, which are huge usually for people who sell wholesale because stores are, you know, resetting, they're getting ready for a new season. And I think I had like three orders. But I, and I realized, you know, I really need to take this seriously. I need to have more product options and designs and really hone in on like, okay, what products do I want to focus on? Like product types and then expand the designs from there. So you had, you know, breadth and option, but not like so many different types of products. I wasn't doing any of them well. Um, So that was like, I think the biggest thing for me is saying, okay, what, what do you like to design and where can you kind of expand from there? Um, and just really start to create like a cohesive brand. So people know what to, what they're going to get out of Gert and Co. We need to release kind of new product. So yeah, yeah. The first quarter was alarming. Well, I mean, it's alarming, but also you had to give yourself the space and the room to be able to do that work and think creatively and just figure out like what you wanted the brand to look like. And so you had to give yourself the space to do that because you can't usually do that at the same time as, 80% of your business being the customization in the wedding world. And I think that that's the, this is such an awesome thing for anybody listening to really absorb and sit with because so many times there might be like one product that you're like, I don't want to let go of this thing, but it's actually not fulfilling me or it's actually not bringing me profit or, you know, the millions of things where it's like, you have to let it go in order to have your brand take off. And you've had so much success this year since you really like focused on the brand. Um, so I think that that's amazing. I'm sure that a lot of your corporate background and being a category manager has played into (laughs) your, your ability to identify the different categories and design into them. So I'd I'd love for some insights from you on like what specifically you were doing in corporate. Cause a lot of people might not know exactly what a category manager might mean. So like, if you could talk a little bit about what you did there and then how that translated into how you like sliced and diced your yeah. business to figure that out. And it's obviously all a continual learning process, but like how you first did that. Yeah, totally. So, um, Category management and buying all me is are also totally different depending on um, the kind of avenue that you're selling. So for e-commerce, an e-commerce buyer is very different than the type of buying you were doing. Um, we have unlimited shelf space, so we don't really care. Um, we're not trying to find like the product that's going to turn the most. Like we want all the products because you want to have this like really, you know, at least the company I was at, you want to, you're trying to have something for everyone. <laughs> um, shipping right so like there was no inventory is that right correctly okay yeah 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 the only inventory that we would bring in is something that was like a proven you know had high turns and um so then we would bring it in but everything else was drop ship so you don't have the same amount of um liability of product it's 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 a lot easier so category management on that side is really you're just kind of owning a category and looking at the P and L. So the, the profit and loss, um, and kind of diving into that. Um, so I, at first, I think I owned, um, 
like rec room, which was like a really small category. Um, and then I did office furniture, was, which was a little bigger um, and kind of moved around to, you know, different types of categories. Um, but yeah, so what you're doing all day is looking at your overall profit and loss, and then you're breaking that down by product category, like individual items. And then you're breaking that down by supplier and, you know, whose products are selling best. And then, um, you know, you kind of get into the nitty gritty too of like turnaround time, how quick are they shipping to cut, you know, to customers? Cause on e-commerce, we're all expecting to get everything shipped within two days, if not delivered within two days, thanks to Amazon. Um, Amazon's. (laughs) Yeah. They, they created this, you know, everyone's expecting this stuff, you know, all these consumers and really it's almost impossible to keep up with, especially as small business owners. Like there's just not, you just can't, you know, you can't keep up. Um, but yeah, so that's what I was doing for most of my time, um, while I was working and in the corporate world. And so that is like, that's how I run my business now, right? And Gert and Co is my category. And then I'm breaking it down and saying like, okay, what, product categories are doing well, which has, you know, the highest profit, what does, and then breaking down by design, what designs are doing well, which ones are just, you know, I'll get a few orders here and there, but I should probably just, you know, cut them. And I think that's important too, to people. It's sort of the same idea of like, I kind of like that design and, you know, people are sort of ordering it, but honestly, it's taking up inventory space and like, you just need to kind of cut it sometimes. Like, trim the fat and, and kind of stick with the things that are actually making you money. Um, so yeah, so that's everything I learned in my corporate career has been, I think the only reason I've been successful at all really. Well, uh, it's so important. It's like whenever you, and I like first started talking about this, it was like music to my ears because it's not, it's a skill set that not a lot of people have because why would you have that unless you worked right. in in a corporate setting. And so it's why I like to talk to people about it because it's something that's like not the most fun thing to talk about or to learn. But once you start to learn it, it becomes fun because then you start to say, okay, I started this brand because I, for whatever reasons, and you like create the brand based on what you love. So like you leaned into like, I want to create for me with proof of concept, because I know people like this aesthetic and you start out that way. But then as you're growing, you have to look at what your customers are saying and telling you, because otherwise you'll just keep designing until like, you probably have a million ideas in your brain right? <laughs> and, right. And, and developed into all of those, you would have no money and you wouldn't have a business. So it's like that right. fine tuning that skill set of editing is so important. And yeah. I think like, it's so awesome that that's something that you're like leaning into so heavily. Um, yeah, I think it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting too. Cause you get back to that like original point of why I left of like, I, I don't want to design for other people. And at the end of the day, you are always sort of right. I, I want to sell my products. I'm not, I am trying to grow my business and make money and have it become a bigger brand. There's I'm sure there's certain um, artists who, you may have a different goal. Like your idea of success may not be, um, you know, continuing to grow it and make a lot of money off of it. Um, and you're just doing what you want. And if someone wants to buy it, great. If not like that, you're 
that's not your, your idea of success, just doing exactly what you want. And for me, it's like kind of a mixture. I want to be making things that I also can stand behind and say, I like them. Um, They're cute. Like I would buy that card, you know, whatever. But I'm also looking at like, what's, you know, what's trending, what's selling, what I'm still going into different stores and kind of doing, you know, trend shopping and seeing what places that I would love to have my product carried, like, what are they carrying? Um, so you're, you, you, I think you can have like a blend of both and, you know, design to what, you know, I mean, I design things that I think people are going to buy, but it's also something that I like. <laughs> so it's a fine line. Like you can take yeah. something trending and put your own brand spin on it, you know? Yeah. So it still feels on brand for you, but it might be something right. that is trending. And sometimes right. like what's trending doesn't actually fit your brand. So you have right. to learn to like say, okay, well, just because Taylor Swift is everywhere, Taylor Swift has nothing to do with my brand. So like, right. I'm not right. going to design a Taylor Swift card. That's a random example, but. Um, no, but I was thinking about that today because there are other brands that, you know, like do the same, same product products as me, but their brand is so different. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Swift is like huge for them and it's awesome and it's fun and I love their stuff. But, and then I, you get in your own head and you're like, am I supposed to be doing something for Swiftness? And like, and I, and it was the same with Barbie. And I was like, I just pop culture. Like I just, I wouldn't do it well. And so I want to let the people that do it, like crush it, crush it. <laughs> Right. And I think like that's it's hilarious actually that you were thinking about that today because I was like I just pulled that out of thin air. I mean, actually, not really. She is literally everywhere, but that thing too. Sometimes something is literally everywhere, so it's it's super smart what you're saying about like let the people that do that one thing do that one thing, and yeah. you kind of stay in your lane. And like having right. those brand parameters is is super important. So I want to talk a little bit about like because we've talked about this before too, like trade shows and trend shopping. And like, if you traveled to Europe for work, like how has some of that, those experiences funneled into your brand now? Like what were you doing when you were traveling to London and you said house was at Paris? Berlin. Berlin. Thank you. I'm like, it wasn't. Okay. So like, what, what was, what were you doing on those trips? And like, how have you taken that into your business either with like trend shopping or with your wholesale approach? Yeah. Um, so I was actually living in those cities working, working there. Yeah. Um, but so obviously, and then man, so managing, um, a UK business and then managing a German business. Um, cause so it was, yeah, it was, that was interesting in itself. Right. Cause I don't, I can't speak or read German. So the whole website, I was kind of relying on the people on my team to be able to sort of make, make sure that everything looked correct, <laughs> like the merchandising and stuff. Um, and obviously negotiating with vendors. I was like, I was never kind of the lead, be- even if I was, you know, the person working for me would always be the lead. So like, I can't speak German. And um, it's just nuances, obviously, um, in the way you communicate and, and negotiate. Um, but I did go to a lot of trade shows um, when I lived there, when I was working there, that, you know, UK-based or German-based. I think I went to Poland once for one. Um, and that was very interesting because the styles are just so different, um, especially in home decor, like very, very different, um, than the U S. So, um, I think that is sort of where I learned that you do need to look at who your audience is going to be. Like, if you don't know your audience, like I went over there, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, I've worked for this company for five years and I did really well in the U S and then I got to, you know, the London office. It's like, 
this is your top selling item, like totally different style, nothing that would ever sell in the US. Um, So it's important to know who are you trying to sell, sell to, what are they looking for? And then I had to learn, you know, a whole new portfolio of um, competitors. So in the US, you know, you're looking at big brick and mortars, and you're also looking at Amazon and anyone else in the e-com space. Um, And then I got to the UK, I was like, I don't know any of these stores. Um, so, you know, same, obviously, in Germany, like, I don't know who you consider your competitors here. So that I had to learn all of that, too. Um, but it's the same thing. You just it's easy if it's brick and mortar because it's nice to be able to go in and touch and feel and see what is clearly they're either taking a bet on because they're willing to take up floor space or is doing well. And that's why it's in store. Um, I think that's that for me is like a really big learning anytime you're going into a store, like if it's in store, yeah. that company has fully bought into that product yeah. um, because it's expensive to give it shelf space and take up, you know, floor space or something. Um, so just keeping that in mind. And then there's ways to, you know, dissect e-com and filter to, you know, most reviews and, you know, that type of thing to like get an idea of what's best selling. But um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It's just crazy how different the styles are you know, country to country. I didn't realize you live there. That's so, that's like a dream of mine. Um, very cool. But I can completely, completely understand what you're talking about when you say like things sell differently in different countries. Like when I was working at Urban, we had a UK office and I worked really closely with the UK buyers. So we were like the US buyers were very specific to one product category. So like I was the pants buyer, pants and denim, (laughs) for example, (laughs) but the UK buyer, like she bought all apparel. So she relied on what the U S was bringing in. So they would come over for each, you know, collection and we'd review and we'd have to like develop into things specifically for them to fit their need because the bottoms that are selling in the U S are not going to sell in the UK. But that poor girl had to work with like every single buyer on the U S team. And we're all like, You know, um, and other other countries, one of them, um, or companies, I mean, when I, I worked at Land's End and we had buyers from Germany and yeah. the UK and they would all come in and we, they would have to buy from our collection. And sometimes they'd be like, this is not going to sell for me. Right. So we developed right. products specifically for them. And it's, it's just such an, it was such an interesting thing to learn because whether you're buying, you know, selling internationally or not, it's like, if you scale it down and you like take this concept down to like your own business, just in the U S when you're reaching out or designing into your line and you're thinking about like the different wholesale accounts you'd want to go to like a small shop in the middle of the country, your product might not resonate with them. So like, don't put your effort on reaching out to anybody and everybody like reach out to the shops that actually make sense for your brand. And then know, as you scale, you might need to add on different products to attract the next kind of level of retailers that you want to bring in. So it's like kind of, I mean, the U S is huge, right? So if you break down the U S into, you know, regions it's the same as countries basically totally yeah so for yeah so for me a lot of my product is like very coastal and that's sort of like where i started and i'm starting to kind of expand out of but it made sense because i'm from maine i live in maine it's it's you know it's kind of like low-hanging fruit um so i do really well obviously on the coast Mm -hmm. um the east coast and then now i'm like okay what 
how can I take those products that I know do really well in those stores? So I have like notepads that have, you know, different coastal icons on the top. Um, and I'm like, oh, there's, you know, the lakes region is yeah. huge in the yeah. middle of the country. On our call. I yeah. think we were talking about this because I was like, why don't you start looking at like other types of right. water? <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, so it's not, it still is very much Gert and Co and something that I would do. Um, but it's just being able to sort of expand it to, you know, fit those types of stores, um, and something that will sell, you know, with their customers. So, yeah, so that's, it's, it's, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm like, okay, how do I build product that will sell kind of throughout the country in these different regions and isn't so, um, you know, coastal New England focused. Um, and Christmas, this holiday season was like the first time that I saw, you know, sales to kind of all over the place because my product it was, it's holiday so it wasn't i have my coastal lobster collection um that i love and was kind of my first entry into holiday but this year i just kind of went all in on like what would i want my tree to look like you know under the tree to look like and it was you know pink and whimsical and all that that kind of fun stuff and that's not region specific so it's done you know it's been able to sell kind of all across the country which is awesome okay. yeah it's like you can still have that thread line of coastal Maine, yeah. Like in your collection, so people know that that's you. But also, yeah. like, how do you layer on so that you're like adding yeah. on and making it? Someone in Philadelphia would be like, "I right. stole right. this." Like, <laughs> right. right. You know? Like, I would still do the lobster Christmas gift wrap because it was so cute. Not for both. It wouldn't make sense for both, but for me personally, I right. love that. Right. 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 So. Was there anything from that? You don't have to share this because this is like specific to your brand, but like, was there any learnings from your Q4 collection? Cause that was now your like third quarter truly, yeah. I feel like of being like fully all in on the brand yeah. like, expanded upon ideas and stuff. And, um, yeah. was were there any learnings from that that you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to like approach differently in my upcoming year, you don't have to share it if you don't want to, but I'm just curious. No, I mean, like on, it's, there's some like big takeaways and one was being fully ready for the season in July when, when the bigger retailers are going to start shopping for that, for that season. Um, actually I think I was ready. I might've been ready in June and then July there's the fair online, um, market. And so I was just fully ready for Christmas at that time. So I've been in holiday for six months. I'm like so ready to be done. Um, but just, just developing two buyers schedules, I think what is, you know, the biggest takeaway is really important to keep in mind, um, for anyone doing a product based business. And then the second thing is if you have a full kind of collection that you're going out with. And for me, it was, you know, I had kind of three holiday collections this year. It was like pink mist. I had this like woodland forest and then the um, coastal holiday. Um, getting professional photography done was the biggest, best thing that I could have done for myself because those pictures are like why I think I've done so well on, on fair specifically, specifically. Yeah. And you have those pictures for July and then you can, I use them for social. Now they're on my website. There's so many different ways to use them. So like, those are the two biggest things that I'm going to take with me to, you know, as I continue to grow is 
paying attention to the big collection launch times for buyers. Um, and according to like the bigger buyers, right? So like, like I said, so some will buy holiday in July. They're yeah. going to buy like six months out. Big, big retailers are buying like a year out. So like they're doing their holiday, you know, 2024 now, um, yeah. which maybe someday I'll get there. <laughs> but um, I think focusing on like the mid to big retailers timeline and then and then you're ready for all the smaller boutiques too. Like I've, I had stores buying like well into November, which actually surprised me, but they're smaller stores. They don't have space for to buy inventory for Christmas in July and keep it until the holiday season. So, so just being ready for those buyers has been important. Um, and then just having good photography to back it up is like, it just makes your life so much easier. And when you're product based, like you need those photos, you really, and I for so long kind of didn't put it off to like would do some of my own and what, and I just eventually this year I was like, I can't, I don't want to do this. I don't like it. I'm not good at it. And so, yeah, I just kind of went all in um, and have found someone locally who's like amazing, which was great. I mean, I think that that's, that's like the next, the next like level of the brand and is what separates you from, you know, other, other brands. Like it, it creates the whole brand story with the photography and it makes retailers trust you more when they're comparing like your brand against other people because like stationary brands there are so many of them like there are yeah. so many little brands i'm not saying that in the negative way by any means because your That's brand true. is you but like because of that you have to do things like professional photography you just really have to yeah. but you don't have to do it for like everything that you launch yeah. just your big ones the ones that like are your money makers like twice yeah. a spring a spring photo shoot and a holiday photo shoot or whatever your two big times a year are like yeah. get the professional photos and it also makes your yeah. life easier yeah it does it just sets it just sets you up to make everything easier the email marketing like literally everything i just go and pull the photos and it, it's just so easy yeah so the, that was like the biggest thing i was like all right that was well worth that investment and I need to, you, I'm curious. So let me just ask this. When you do your brand, like your professional photos, do they also take product photos for your line sheet or for fair, or is it all styled? Like, do you do any part of it still? This time for this collection, I just did, um, styled like flat lays, but not yeah. yet individual product photos. Honestly, right. most of my product photos are a picture I took and then I created a mock-up from that. So it's still... Yeah it's still unique to me. I didn't just buy it off of, you can buy some off grid. And I did, I mean, if you're just starting out or don't have the, but like those pictures are awesome. I still use them as like secondary images. I, that's all I use for a while. But this year I started taking some and that were just my own on my phone. And then I'd create, um, mock-ups in Photoshop from there so that everything still looked good. Yeah. It has like either a pink or orange background and has some glitter or something. Um, and, and there, those are my like product images that I use when I'm selling. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then the lifestyle images are second. I, that's why I was asking. Cause I feel like that's something important to note too. Cause I think a lot of people that they haven't taken the leap to hire a photographer yet get concerned about like the cost of the lifestyle and all the flat lays or, or individual product images. And you can do like, you can do a mix where you just get some yeah. like you can do a mini brand shoot and just get some awesome lifestyle and then do the rest yourself with like, yeah. like mock up. So, um, yeah. it's like really good. Um, a good tip. So yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like we're, we're at almost the 30 minute mark and I feel like that's the sweet spot for the timing. And so I won't, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, but this is like, like we could talk for so long. <laughs> oh my God. Like, I literally looked down yeah, I like I'm going to take up a whole, her entire day. So <laughs> you're just like buying like nerds a little bit. We're like, <laughs> like immediate how, do you, how do you slice the data? <laughs> I love slicing data. I love slicing data. <laughs> Yeah, I sound like the biggest nerd, but um, you know, I'll ask you this. Let me ask you. We'll we'll end on on this with a data question for the data nerds. Okay. Um, for the people that aren't data nerds, actually, we'll uh, let me ask this: Are there specific reports that you're pulling? Because you sell on different channels, so yeah. how are you pulling together your reports in a way that allows you to like? slice and dice it without like being overly complicated. Like if you were advising somebody that's like this, oh, this stresses me out. Like what is your simplified version? Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I download everything and create like pit, all these different pivot tables and all that stuff, um, which I'm more than happy to teach people how to do. Um, it's really not that hard, but, um, the easiest thing to do is, um, just whatever platform you're selling on. And so I shall sell on, um, Shopify is the host for gertco.com and then fair, um, for all my wholesale business. Um, I do some Etsy, but it's not, I don't really look into it too much. Honestly, it's just sort of like a supplemental business um, is to download your, your sales history and it will download into this like big Excel sheet and have, you know, has tons of data and seems overwhelming, but just find the column that has, you know, units sold or dollars sold for specific items. And then you can search, you know, filter sort from highest to lowest. And that's like very high level, like, Right. What product brought in the most, sold the most units, what product, you know, has the highest revenue that came in. Um, and if you want to break it down a little bit more, you can, you, some, I don't think fair actually does it, which is frustrating, but you can look at, um, by category. So you could even just kind of assign your products, your own category, like add that as a column, um, and then do the same thing and sort by that category. It shows, you know, all my gift wrap, for example, and then sort just within that and say like, okay, out of gift wrap, what's my best selling design? You know, which one is maybe not doing well and should I actually just cut it because it's, um, you know, taking away almost from the overall assortment. So yep. just download all the high level data and just kind of easily play around with it. It's not, doesn't need to be super in depth, but it can be, which is also exciting too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the most simple, the most simple thing is like exactly what you just said, like just putting it all into one, into yeah, one spreadsheet yeah. and then adding in your own filters, like that make the most yeah. sense. You don't have the, all the categories there, or you want to look at it like in a different way than maybe how you have it coded in the system. Like just put it in and start filtering yourself and start looking at it and just like getting yourself comfortable with looking at it broken down and not just like one overwhelming sheet of data, like right. chunk it out in a way that makes sense for your business. Right. So it's oh, that was yeah, it's nice. It's surprising too. Like, and, and the numbers are fun to share sometimes if you want to, like, you know, I sold X thousand number, you know, units of stickers this year. And that just kind of shows retailers like, Hey, these are top sellers for me. Um, it's just, it's just, interesting information to have. And sometimes it surprises you. Like I was very surprised by what was actually making up the largest percentage of my business. So yeah. 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 And it is important too. 
to look at wholesale versus D2C separately too, because what sells to retailers is not always what's going to sell to your D2C. And also it can throw things off. If you're looking at like units sold, you might have a bestseller on your site that you don't really catch because it falls to the bottom of your, your list because your retailers aren't really buying it a whole lot, but your website, your customer coming to you really likes it. Like you can find some learnings like that too. Um, when you start to look at it, yeah, slicing and dicing (laughs) in that way. I'm going to stop myself because I could talk about this for literally two hours. (laughs) That was a little tip of the iceberg, but thank you for saying that because I feel like that was a good way to end this episode. (laughs) So um, can you just tell people how they can find you, how they can buy your awesome products and how they can connect with you? Yeah. So on Instagram, it's Gert & Co. um, At Gert & Co. G-E-R-T-A-N-D-C-O. And then my website is gertco.com. Right. I'll put everything in the show notes. You can click on it and check it out. And of course, share it on social. So yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome. I appreciate you. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. If you are loving the show, I would be so beyond grateful if you would rate and review the podcast and share it with one of your biz besties to help spread the word. I hope that you absolutely crush your sales this week. I'll be back to chat with you next Monday.